good morning and welcome to worship this morning. It's so wonderful that you can be here with us today, either in the building or online. Um, let's just pray before I kick off into the message for today. So let's just come and into a moment of prayer. A gracious, loving God, we just give you thanks for this opportunity. This opportunity, this privilege that we have to be able to do this here in this country. Be able to proclaim your name. Be able to hear your word found in the Bible. Be able to worship you openly and freely. And so, Lord, we just ask today that you will guide us, you will lead us. Your Holy Spirit will open your word for us today. We pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we've had our Christmas series and we've had our summer series, which has kind of punctuated um, our series looking at the words, the ways, and the works of Jesus Christ. And it's been such a fantastic time to be able to have uh, that Christmas season where we've explored and, and wrestled with what it means to have peace and peace within the world and Jesus' peace for us. And over the summertime, over those seven weeks within summer, that we've had seven different people giving us a message and an exploration around Mark's gospel and the culture that they have and their understanding. And it's been fantastic that we've been able to step into that space and, and learn from um, other people other than just the straight ministry team that comes up here week in, week out. And it's been fantastic. I've been privileged to have been a part of that and it's helped me understand a few things in depth as well. But as we come back into our series on the words, the, the, words, the ways and the works of Jesus Christ, we're actually coming into our 30th week looking at Mark's gospel. So we've been spending time slowly, carefully going through Mark's gospel and we come into Mark 11 today. Uh, Mark 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 14 and verse 20 to 25. They kind of come together. There's a little punctuation between of those uh, um, where Jesus goes in and clears the temple. But let, let's, let's just come in this morning and, and let's just hear from the Word of God. Let's hear from the Bible. Um, Mark's Gospel. So the next morning, they were leaving Bethany and Jesus was hungry. He noticed the fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat of your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. And moving on to verse 20, and then it says, And the next morning, as they passed by the fig tree, he had cursed. The disciples noticed it withered up from the roots. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Rabbi, look, Rabbi, the, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. And then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to the mountains, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and no, not, no doubt in your heart. And I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you will receive it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Thanks be to God for his word. And as I said, we've been taking our time looking at all of Mark's gospel. 
I want to ask, start, start by asking you this question. What is your image of Jesus Christ? What image do you hold of Jesus? Now, we've just had Christmas. How many people have the image of Jesus and hold Jesus as the baby Jesus all the time? You know, that, that, that we've just celebrated, you know, laying in the manger, no sound does he make, you know, although that was not actually part of the story. That's just a, a hymn that was sung about it, a Christmas carol that sung about it, but, but about the baby Jesus. Or maybe your image of Jesus is, is more on that loving image, you know, of, of Jesus saying to to all of the, the crowd around him and the disciples who are stopping the little children coming, let the little children come to me. Maybe that's the kind of loving image that you have of Jesus. Or maybe you have an image of Jesus, the teacher, the one who tells about who God is and the plans for the world. Or maybe it's Jesus, the healer, the one that restores people to health and back into community. Healing's not just about the physical, it's about the spiritual, it's about the emotional, it's about the healing, coming back into the community of God and the community of people around them. Or maybe your picture of Jesus is the saviour. I bet you you don't have many of you actually have a picture of Jesus as the one who curses and destroys. How many people have got an idea, you know, that's their picture of Jesus? So nobody, nobody in the room is saying, yep, I, I, that's my picture of Jesus. You know, actually, it's interesting because as I, was, as I was reading some information around this, this passage has been used by some people as an excuse not to believe in Jesus. How could Jesus be loving and curse a fig tree and it wither up and die? So we're going to kind of look at that. We're going to explore what that is, and we're going to actually realise that this is an aspect of God. This is an aspect of Jesus. This is actually an aspect of what has happened, and we need to understand what it means for us and as we've been doing this, because we've been looking at the words, the ways, and the works of Jesus Christ, so that we can understand how we can fully follow Jesus as a disciple, just as his disciples followed him and learned how to behave, we learn from reading the Gospels, accounts of Jesus, and understanding for ourselves. So I'm going to put this passage into context for you so you can kind of understand it for, our, for ourselves and actually understand what it means for us that Jesus actually spent that time actually did curse the fig tree and it did wither and die and what it actually has. So this, this passage comes just after Jesus has gone into Jerusalem. He's, and we call it the triumphal entry. He's coming to Jerusalem and he's, he's ridden in on that colt. And all of the crowds have been shouting and proclaiming that he's the one coming in the name of the, the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one coming in. And yet the religious authorities didn't want to recognise, didn't want to have that. And so Jesus is coming out of that space, having been championed by the people but rejected by the religious leaders. And straight after this, in between the two parts of that reading that we had, Jesus goes back into Jerusalem and he upturns the tables, he drives out the money changers, all those things that, you know, and, and there's another image of Jesus for you. You know, the, 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 the righteous anger, the, the indignation of Jesus where he sees that God's house has been taken over for profit. See, the thing is that here he is. As we look at this passage, 
the first way we can interpret it, the first way we understand this passage is Jesus is actually tapping into a long line of prophetic proclamation against the Israelite nation, against the leaders that have gone astray. Why is cursing a fig tree a part of that? Well, let me explain to you. See, the, the, the Jewish nation has often been equated to, to being like a fig tree uh, and, and the fig, the fruits of the fig tree coming out there. And they are the sweet fruit meant to build up the people. We, let me just share with you a piece from Micah. And this is not the first time that the Israelite people and the leaders have been told that they are bad fruit or withering up or there is nothing there. So Micah 7 verses 1 to 2 says this, How miserable I am. This is a prophet speaking to the people. How miserable I am. I feel like the fruit picker after the harvest who can find nothing to eat. Not a cluster of grapes or a single early fig can be found to satisfy my hunger. The, the godly people have all disappeared and no honest person is left on earth. They are all murderers setting traps even for their own brothers. So here is a prophet denouncing the nation because of the behaviours they've had. And he's using that illustration, that language about not even finding early figs. Hold that in your thought. Here's Hosea prophesying about Israel's punishment. Hosea 9.10, the Lord says, O Israel, when I first found you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. And when I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the first ripe figs of the season. And then they deserted me for Balapora, giving themselves to the shameful idol. Soon they became vile, as vile as God they worshipped. See, here again, Israel being equated as being like the figs. And then Jeremiah, speaking about false prophets, in Jeremiah 8, verse 13, verse 13, it says, I will surely consume them. There will be no more harvest of figs and grapes. The fruit tree will all die, and whether I gave them, gave them will soon be gone. I, the Lord, have spoken. And if you go into Jeremiah 24 specifically, Israel is seen as, the, the righteous ones in Israel are seen as the sweet harvest, non um, the beautiful fruit of the fig and those who have gone astray as the rotten fruit. So this language, this understanding, this symbolic way of talking about Israel is, is, is actually routed, rooted in the language of the fig tree and of the fig. So when Jesus sees this fig tree with leaves on it, and, and is expecting to actually see the first fruits of the tree and finds nothing. He does a prophetic thing. He curses it. It's, it's both prophetic and symbolic. And it's, 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 you know when you do symbolism and you, you actually do something, and it's not necessarily about the symbol, it's about what it represents. And see, so here is Jesus actually cursing that fig tree. It's actually saying to religious leaders, this is you. You don't have any fruits. You don't even have first fruits. You've got the leaves, but you've got nothing. And even from then, no more will come. That is a powerful, strong prophetic message that we need to take hold of. 
And, and here's the thing, a little bit about uh, fig trees within the, the, that Middle Eastern area. Apparently, you know, in, in all the reading I was doing as I was preparing for this, you know, I'm not a gardener. I'm good at ripping things out of the ground, not at growing them up, and not at harvesting kind of those things. So gardening, pfft, that's not me. But as I was doing the reading, I was looking at it, and why would Jesus want to go and see if he could find a fig even when it wasn't the season for the fruit? Now, that always got me thinking, what, what does it mean? What's it there for? So to understand that, apparently what happens with these figs is that they have a small first fruit that comes that is hard and is a bit bitter, but even if you're hungry, you eat it. And it comes there and then that falls off and then the real fruit comes in. So some people might call it a false fruit, but it's there, it's the first fruit. And it comes early prior to the actual season. And so Jesus was coming, seeing the leaves on the tree, the way it was growing, the, and, and the time and thinking, yes, there should be something there, and he wants to have it. So you can see how this is all playing out. You've got the prophetic vision. You've got the, the, the way of saying the, the, the actual way he's talking to the religious leaders of the time and actually saying, this is you. But as I said, in all of our series that we've been looking at, the most important thing for us, apart from just holding this in historic space, is to actually understand what it means for us to be a disciple and how we can follow Jesus Christ and what this is saying to us. How does this passage about Jesus cursing the fig tree, looking at the words, the ways, the works of Jesus, how does this speak into our lives, our lives as we want to follow Christ? our lives as we want to move forward. So what's the practical thing for us? I mean, some of you might be thinking, well, how is this going to speak into this? What's going to be the thing? What do I get out of this? See, cursing that fig tree reminds us individually and also collectively, as a church, as a body of Christians, that, that God expects us not only to be alive, but, so that is alive, having leaves on the tree, but be productive. In other words, bearing fruit. There's an expectation that it's not about just being alive, but about bearing fruit, about doing the thing that we want to do. This, this reminds me, when we start thinking about other parables that Jesus talks about, about vines and growth, notice and that they're vines, they're grapevines, and the, the things that in the Old Testament they've been talking about, the grapes and the figs, they're the illustrations of the people of Israel and the growth and the production of fruit. In other words, the, the blessing of God upon those people. And, and we, we, we remember what Jesus said about talking about pruning the vine if it's not bearing fruit. If those branches aren't bearing any fruit, what are you meant to do? Prune them off so the tree can bear fruit. Now, we, we find that illustration, that way of talking, that parable, so much easier to digest than Jesus cursing the tree because it doesn't have anything. But it's all about that production. So what are the outward signs? What are the things that we display that make us look alive, make us look like that we are Christians, make us look like that we're disciples, but we are not actually generating any fruit out of it? You know, there's the practices that we do. You know, sometimes there are religious things that we do that 
we do for the benefit of those around us so that they show, so we can show that we are religious. But does it bear fruit? Is it actually producing a harvest? Or is it just an outward sign? See, um, some of the great theologians over the years have talked about um, how we sometimes do things to curve inwards, to curve back on ourselves. So we do an action in order to get a benefit for ourselves. This is just being alive. This is just having the leaves out for show. And we need to be careful of that. So, you know, some people... How many people have got a cross um, necklace? Fantastic, because it's an expression of faith, isn't it? It's, it's actually saying, I believe in Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's an important thing. Um, but for some people, let me say this, some people, they put it on just to show, but there's no fruit out of anything. That's just an outward action. Some people may come into church carrying their big Bible and look at me, aren't I great? Aren't I holy? Aren't I a religious kind of person? I'm carrying my Bible but they've never actually put those words into action in their lives. It's the outward part. They're kind of missing what it really is. You know, there's, there, you know I want to give to you, what, are, what is something that you do? I'm going to challenge you here. What is something that you do? There's an outward behaviour that actually really isn't producing fruit. It's an action but it isn't the heart of God working within you. It's something that you may have grown up with, it's something you may have done, you do over the time, and it doesn't bear fruit. It's really important for us to actually understand that. The other thing I want to do, why is it that Jesus, even though he knew it wasn't really the season for fruit, expected to see something there? This really got me thinking. This really got me thinking, what does it mean? What, for me, this is important. Especially if you happen to be in the, in, the, in the space where people do look at you as a person who's a religious leader. So do I only ever do stuff for the benefit of those when they are looking at me? So the season, the time that people expect Simon here to be religious, to be, you know, on point and, and, and have the, the gifts of God working through him at that point. Part of this, part of this piece of the Bible is telling us to have fruit at all times, not just when the season is, not just this space for us. It means that in the quiet spaces when nobody's looking at you, bear the fruit of God. It means in the time when things are hard, when things have not gone right, bear the fruit of God. It means in the time and space when we come to, come to worship, all those kind of places when we come into Bible study, when we bear the fruit of God. When we're talking to our neighbour, bear the fruit of God. Show the love of God in your life in every moment. Show that Jesus Christ is your saviour, the one that you want to be, your one. So it's actually an expectation for us as disciples, as those who want to follow Jesus, to follow in the way of Jesus, to actually know that we are expected to bear fruit. 
And for those of us who may even be thinking about whether they should come to Jesus Christ, whether Jesus is actually the, the, the thing for them. And I've heard so many people say over the years of my, my life that oh, I'll just make a decision for Christ just before I die. Mm-hmm. See, that is like trying to wait for the time, for the season, but Jesus says don't wait for that season. You actually need to be bearing fruit right now. You need to say yes to Jesus right now. If God is working for you right now, working in your mind and just saying, hey, this thing, this thing about Jesus, it's important. Maybe I should step up right now. So as we come into this time, into this space, into this this moment, let's, let's actually think about this. What is the fruit that God is asking you to bear? both in season and out of season. What is each putting on your heart today to step up and do, to show? Is it to to make real in your life the salvation that you have found in Christ to those around you? Is it to actually, as in the passage, as it says, to pray wholeheartedly with everything that you have, to know that God listens to those prayers and God will give you what you ask to bear great fruit. But notice this, we can't come into that space as as an attitude that you have to have. And that is an attitude of forgiveness, an attitude of letting go of those who wronged you, forgiving them. It says, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone who is holding a grudge against you so the Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. So it's coming to that space and asking for the forgiveness of your sins before you come into the word of prayer to ask for God to bring fruit and action into your lives. So let's just take that that point and let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, gracious God, there are moments, there are passages in the Bible that sometimes we find hard. Sometimes we can't equate it to with your loving nature. But Lord, there are times when we are told that we're doing the wrong thing. Lord, speak that into our lives. Show us when we're doing something wrong that is not in tune with your will for our lives, not your in tune with your will for the whole world. Lord, we just pray now that as you speak into our lives, we know that you speak into our lives. Lay it bare for us. Lay it open for us. What is holding us back? What is the outward signs that that we're just going through the motions and aren't bearing the fruit 
the Spirit in our lives. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Oh Lord, we just ask now that if you are you wanted us to come in and say yes to Jesus, to say yes, you are my Lord and Saviour. Lord, I just pray that, pray this prayer. Oh God, you are the maker of all things, maker of heaven and an earth. And Lord, we come before you and we say that we are sinners, that we have sinned against you, we've done wrong against you, oh God, and we've done wrong against our brothers and sisters in the world. And Lord, forgive us of those things. Lord, we just pray that that you'll come into our lives as Lord and Saviour. Lord, we ask that you be our Lord, our Saviour, our Guide, our God. Lord, we ask that all of our lives will come to follow you. And this may be every part of us. My whole life I give to you, God. Oh, Lord, I pray this in the power of Jesus Mm-hmm.